welcome to Drafting the Dregs. This is your podcast for all things EPL Draft Fantasy. My name is Isaac and of course, as always, you're joined uh, by Mick, Gilby and Dave to talk about our uh, EPL Draft Fantasy League and all things uh, EPL as well. There's been a, a little bit go on. We're currently at the back end of the international break, thankfully. Uh, so, you know, we'll have a few games to talk about. But um, look, I think there's been a few things happen this week that are worthy mentions. Um, now, Gilby having his nose to the ground and, and knowing all that's going on in the international break, Gilby, there's been a few injuries. Now, there's been a few injuries to a, a couple of your key Man United players as well. Um, who should we be avoiding this week? Uh, in fantasy in general, or but in our draft league as well? Do, do, do a couple of us need to make some trades out? Yeah, it could be an interesting one. Uh, Raphael Varane is the main one that's going to affect um, a fair few people in um, fantasy. Um, I think that's Dave's boy. So I think he was already saying he was looking at moving him on anyway. So maybe not a great loss, uh, but I think from all the reports I've read out for maybe three weeks, Diogo Jota is another one. Mm. He is one of mine. Um, he left the Portugal squad early due to an injury. Seems to be pretty minor, but that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, Romelu Lukaku was another one who withdrew from the third and fourth place playoff. Um, now, whether or not that was even worth playing as a match is a whole other argument. A lot of players said that they didn't want to play that. Uh, Thibaut Courtois basically came out and completely trashed that fixture. So that was another thing for UEFA to look at. Um, but apparently, according to um, the Roberto Martinez, the uh, manager, it was just muscle fatigue. So essentially, didn't feel like playing and <laughs> sent him home early. And correct correct um, me if I'm wrong, though, Gilbo. Didn't he? Didn't he do that last international break as well? He just sort of said, "Not not playing that last game, going back to Chelsea early." I'm not sure about that one. Mm. I, I think that may have been a little bit of an actual knock that right, time. Okay. Um, but this one, even the managers said it's just muscle fatigue. Mm. Um, so yeah, not sure about that one. That might be something to have a keep an eye on. Um, probably, uh, probably just bruised his pea heart. <laughs> well, I mean, no, going out, looking how big and strong he is, you can go and say that to him next time you run into him, Dave, and see how that goes. Oh, Dave runs into um, him regularly too, I'm sure. Yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one to pull out, which uh, might affect the continuing Chelsea defensive rotation, was Rudiger uh, withdrew with back issues from the match on Monday for Germany. Oh, um, apparently wasn't serious. Yeah, apparently wasn't serious, um, so should be okay. Um, Vladimir Kufal, who is my right back and West Ham's right back, um, had a minor groin injury. Um, Wolves, um, Trincao tested positive for COVID. So that may mean... <laughs> when you said he tested positive for COVID, I'm like, hang on, I didn't, I did not read about this <laughs> drug test. Anyway, not quite, carry not quite on. The- not quite the fun C-type test. Um, so that was the COVID test. Um, you may be wanting to maybe look at um, one of my old heroes, Daniel Podence, in that case. Um, he was really good for me in, in uh, patches last season, so that may be worth looking at. Um, other ones that didn't even play during the international break that affects the EPL, um, Goodmanson, King, Norman, uh, Shea Adams, Johnny Evans, and Calvin Phillips all withdrew. Um, the other main one at which a lot of people be probably pretty anxious about looking at their last, um, looking at their starting team, there are 17 different EPL players who are going to be playing in the early hours of Friday morning. 
uh, during the South American qualifiers, which means if they're going to back up for their EPL teams, they'll be playing about 36 hours later after flying from South America. So that could be an interesting one. So including people like Gabriel Jesus, Emiliano Martinez, um, some of the prime movers for a few of our teams there. So that's going to be a dicey one. Could be some interesting transfers, maybe looking at some backup for some of those players this week. Yeah, um, obviously something to consider. Uh, just on that for the um, South Americans, obviously last time when they had, uh, or the last international break, there was issues around them being allowed back into the UK. I haven't looked at the updated list, but I did hear somewhere uh, over the last week that the um, countries with free travel to and from the UK has been expanded. So um, not sure if that includes any of those key South American countries, but Gilby, I'm sure you're all over it. Hit us with the facts. Put you on the uh, spot. Yes, so that red list has been extended. That's not really the issue. Um, the issue is the fact that they're going to be playing Friday morning in South America and then having to play in less than 48 hours for their Premier League He team. already said that, Dave. So, Come on. Come on, yeah. Dave. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know he said that was the issue, but what yeah, I yeah, was yeah. getting at but, was if they so chose to back up on the short turnaround... I think now they will be allowed to, whereas last time they previously weren't. Yeah, uh, Dave, Dave's right. That was the red list issue last then time. Then it's not an issue, um, Dave. So... <laughs> Back in your box, Isaac. <laughs> I know that's something that I've been looking at as well. So one player that I've managed to keep on my bench for the majority of his points this year that Isaac loves to point out for me is Rafinha. Rafinha! Uh, he's playing. <laughs> he's got something, I think, like you guys have just said, something like 34 hours between when his game finishes in Brazil to when he's meant to be playing the next game for Leeds. So, and I think the Brazilian manager at the moment has actually come out. He's come off the bench for the two games so far, um, but actually made a really good impact apparently against Venezuela. Basically turned the tide, won them the game. Um, so they've already come out and said he will be starting. So I think it's another interesting one of, I've managed to leave him on the bench twice for something like 16 points. When I know he's got a long flight, I know he's got travel and I know he's fatigued. Do I still play him? Uh, tough one to do. I don't know what to do there. Please bench him because he will undoubtedly get a goal and an assist. Please bench him, Mick. Well, sh- my, surely he doesn't start, right? My surely. guess, well, knowing Bielsa's system and the level of running he expects, um, I wouldn't think he would start. And whether he plays or not will depend on how that match goes. So looking at it, uh, Leeds are away to Southampton. So I'd be hoping that they'd be, I mean, I'm sure Bielsa is hoping they'd be ahead and may not need him to come on, but I'd be thinking you'd probably be looking at him to maybe play the last 20 minutes if they need him. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, um, I'm pretty sure Southampton are favourites for that, um, which I was kind of surprised at. It's not a heavy favouritism. Um, but slight favourites for that. But I did read somewhere, or I read the headline, so I didn't actually read into it, but Ralph uh, Hausenhudel, the manager, the Austrian manager, the, the Austrian, was Austrian Klopp, I think they call him, um, has apparently lost the dressing room at Southampton. So that would be an interesting one. I don't know if we can find a market anywhere, and I'll, we'll get to this topic in a minute on next manager to get the sack. But, hey, if you want to throw an undercut out there, it might just be worthwhile because I reckon there's a certain manager we'll talk about in a second who is very, very short odds or probably unbackable at the moment. Well, Mick, I, I could be wrong, but I believe the dressing room is to the left of the treatment room there at Southampton. So um, I, I sure hope he finds it soon. 
Um, didn't, only... didn't Rio Ferdinand have that issue one time, Isaac? I actually don't know. Should I know this? Couldn't. He might have been able to find the dressing room, but not the uh, drug testing room, I believe. <laughs> that might be I one for Gilby to comment on, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that story. Um, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that Rio Ferdinand may have accidentally lost the drug testers that day. Um, so the only other things to stand out for me was uh, Ronaldo setting another record with his 10th international hat-trick. Um, it, it was against Luxembourg. So, I mean, anyway. One of the very, uh, one of the very best, yeah. yeah the, um, the Portuguese Michael Mifsud. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did miss a... Um, the uh, bicycle kick um, where the Luxembourg goalkeeper, who'd actually been scored on three times by him already, pulled out a really good save to deny him a bicycle kick goal. And as Ronaldo always is, he was pissed. Um, so the only other one to stand out to me, um, the England won all draw with Hungary at Wembley, where um, Southgate played Mount, Foden and Grealish together for the first time from the start. Didn't work out for him at all. And, of course, our old friend Harry Kane still couldn't score either. Um, so that's going to be a continuing bit of drama there to see if he can hit some form. We'll probably talk about that when we talk about some transfers later. And one last piece of good news for a couple of our managers, Timo Werner hit the net twice for Jeff, who's brought him in for his team. Admittedly, only against North Macedonia, but still, um, anytime Werner's hitting the net, there's bonus. And the other one to hit the net was Kai Havertz, um, who is mixed, much maligned, superstar, first-round draft pick. So I don't know whether you're accepting a goal against North Macedonia in place of a Premier League goal, but, I mean, uh, what's the old one about a starving man looking for an oasis? A, a minute's a minute, right? If he gets on the field, I'll take it at the moment. A point's a point. Um, but a few things I wanted to say with that. Now, you kind of glossed over it here, but I, I believe a prediction. I believe it may have been menu-specific, but... Bruno Fernandes will take the next penalty and he will score it. I believe Ronaldo's hat-trick, there was two penalties. So at least the Portuguese manager has definitely not on your page. There is definitely a ranking order there. Um, secondly, you did mention uh, England as well, but they played another game. I think it was Andorra, which they won 5-0. Grealish got his first goal in English colours. I couldn't not bring it up. I mentioned it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, but a goalkeeper assist. How good from a throw that I'm pretty sure went halfway. And the reason I have to bring it up is it may have been a certain West Bromwich Albion goalkeeper that threw the ball in. So I have to find ways to tie it in. Um, but yeah, my club actually getting more fantasy points for England than my first two round draft picks combined. So yeah, I had to mention it. I, I'm so glad you did. I, I'm just surprised that West Brom have... A, a goalkeeper, and B, one that would be considered to be picked for England. That's incredible. Well done. And playing over the likes of Nick Pope, Jordan Pickford. I mean, when you get that much practice... Are they all injured or something? <laughs> like what? Hey, we, he just had more shots, attempts to save last year. That's why he's so good. Well, I mean, but... let's be honest, it's Andorra. So, I mean, <laughs> like, um, like Throw Dave in goal. one of us could probably play in goal for England there. Um, but yeah, it was. It is good to see. We, we're surprised we actually held on to him, to be honest. I think he was a former Manchester United player, but with De Gea there, he never got a look in. Um, I am somewhat surprised that no other clubs actually did pick him up this year. Um, I assume that it just might, might, might have been a case of too many other good quality keepers in the league. Um, and I guess it's one of those things where English players don't really look abroad that often, except for a few 
a small minority of players, but starting to happen a bit more. Hopefully we see it a bit more, uh, I guess, in the future as well. Yeah, that was it for me for the international. So a few injury dramas to look at. The South American players traveling in. Maybe some good news for a couple of their managers. Um, but yeah, keen to see the EPL back as always. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> just before we move on from the internationals, I think, you know, obviously our focus rightfully so is where there's fantasy player implications. But um I've, for a long time, uh, not been the biggest fan of our old mate, um, Graham Arnold, the Australian manager, but credit where credit's due. Australia now does hold the world record for the most consecutive wins in a single World Cup qualifying campaign with 11. Uh, We just um, went past those small fry Germany, I think it was. Yeah, they're not that good. Um, Spain, I think, was the other one. Spain, yeah. What what have they ever won? Nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, you know, we don't have to go through uh, Europe like they do um, with obviously some very strong opponents, but they also get the likes of San Marino that we don't. Um, unfortunately, it all came crashing down when we got hunted by the whale hunters and beaten 2-1. Yeah, against Japan, but you know, now we can move on. I mean, they Japan are our bogey team, aren't they? We just absolutely we just struggle against them for whatever reason. I don't think we won against them. Was it was it two thousand and nine or eleven? I think I can't remember the article I read during the week, but we yeah, haven't was... won against them for a very long time. Yeah, I don't maybe know, like it's twelve years. Would that be just after the World Cup, like the match in Kaiserslautern? Mm. I know we famously won against them, but after yeah, that, the, I don't, the one that we matters, had we won. Luck. Yeah, not since 2009. So uh, we're well and truly overdue. We get another chance uh, for our home game, the return league. Let's hope that can happen in Australia and hopefully we can get a win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's it's nice to know that Australia's been winning some games and, and, you know, winning some games well. So that's always a nice thing. Um, look, having chatted about certain players in the Premier League. If we turn our attention back to the Premier League slightly, obviously it's been a, a big week for Newcastle fans. And, uh, you know, we, we don't need to spend too much time talking about this, but it is worthwhile, you know, mentioning the change of ownership. Um, there was obviously a, a lot of Newcastle fans very happy that their former owner is now out of the picture with new owners coming in, but there do seem to be some implications with that new ownership and that new ownership structure. Um, I think Mick, you were saying before there was a a stat about you know the amount of money that these new owners actually have in comparison to the rest of the league. Do you mind mentioning that stat? Yeah, so I know we we all I guess consider yeah Man City's and Chelsea's to be rich teams with plenty of money to go out and buy whoever the hell they want, but. There was a, a, a graph I saw put up where basically 100% of the net worth of the owners of the Premier League and Newcastle is makes up about 80% of the net worth the new owners do. So I guess when you look at Man City being something like it'd be like 8% of the league, Newcastle has more than 75 about 80% of it. And then the rest of the, I'll say the smaller clubs, 
and smaller clubs is Leicester's, Aston Villa's. <clears throat> they have just nothing comparatively. So I think Gilby has a bit more in terms of where they sit on the world ranking. But yeah, in terms of against the uh, the English clubs, it'll be uh, exciting to see how they spend it and who they go out and get because it seems like they pretty much have access to anyone they want. In theory, yes, because the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, which is the unofficial owner of the club, they're taking an 80% stake. And in that fund, the main chairman is Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who's the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, and he is worth £320 billion. Um, you compare that to worldwide, we're talking PSG is next on 220 and then down to the owner of Rennes in France, who is on $30 billion. So the next for the Premier League is Sheikh Mansour in Manchester City, which is $21 billion. So we are talking about a club that is now richer than the other top 10 richest clubs in the Premier League combined. So it's a massive, massive change for the Premier League. And when Manchester City was taken over, um, it took them three years to win the league. So a lot of people were predicting, well, how long could it theoretically take Newcastle United? Um, I'm going to predict that they'll win a Premier League by 2030 at the very worst. So, I mean, now we're probably talking about, well, I mean, comfortably a club that's the richest in the world. So, I mean... Uh, even when we talk about some of the players and managers come in, it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see how long our old mate Steve Bruce lasts. But I don't know, what, what do you think you would do first, boys? Is it going to be a manager to come in first or are you starting to look at players in January? What are you going to do with that money? I don't think you go after players until you have your manager bedded in. Um, whether or not the manager that they want long-term is available before January uh, is another question. Um, but yeah, if they can get a manager that they can see or they envisage being with the club for the next three years or so, um, by all means, get them in ASAP and let them have a bit of a say in January. I, I kind of find that the timing of it. So obviously as soon as it was announced, even Steve Bruce came out and said, yep, solid chance I'm going to go. Most new owners want to bring their own guys in, but I, maybe it's, they haven't, maybe they're actually being, this might sound bad, but smarter about it than I probably anticipated. They've got a manager in there who's got the players that uh, he kind of, I guess, wanted. He's had time to somewhat put, I guess, transfer uh, windows into his team. So it's a matter of going through that to try to get his team, using his team to get points while he can. But Rather than going out, getting a brand new manager and trying to scrape points now, maybe they are just waiting until they find that perfect manager that they actually want. And then in the meantime, try to get as many points as possible, which let's face it, hasn't gone that well so far. I think, um, unfortunately for Newcastle and Steve Bruce in particular, the transfer window that you speak of has been very, very, very tiny in terms of the amount he's been able to spend and the players he's been able to bring in. And if you think about that squad, it hasn't changed all that much in the last, I don't know, sort of four or five years. So there's really um, an issue there where if they wait too long, they could be in a lot of trouble and relying really heavily on a, not only a brand new coach, 
or manager, but brand new players as well to try and dig them out of a hole. So although I'm not surprised that, because to be totally honest, I was expecting there to be an announcement by now saying who the new coach is if they were going to do that. So while whilst that's a bit of a surprise that they haven't gone down that road, um, if if they don't do something quickly and bring that manager in quickly, if they don't think Steve Bruce is the one to take them further, then the hole could be too big to dig themselves out of. Like they're at the bottom of the table. So yeah, that's just sort of my take on that situation. To be fair, I'm just having a quick look at the transfers that they did bring in. Uh, and it looks like they literally had four guys come back from loan and they signed Joe Willock, who was already there on loan. So you're right. They literally did no business in the last transfer window. And I'm looking at the table at the moment, and as Isaac was saying, nearly on the bottom with only um, Norwich below them, which is more saying about how weak Norwich have been rather than Newcastle at the moment. But Norwich only on one point so far, Newcastle on three with no wins at all out of seven matches. So, I mean, as Isaac was saying, they're like... I don't know how long they can wait because I don't see Saudi Arabia's public investment fund being happy playing around the championship. So it's going to be somebody coming in pretty quick, whether or not it'll be manager and players or maybe a manager and a couple of players. It's going to be interesting. But some of the main ones we've seen linked so far, are Brendan Rogers, current manager at Leicester, uh, Steve Gerrard, who's the current manager at Rangers, whether or not he'll wait to get the Liverpool job from Klopp, that would be probably the more likely outcome. But if Klopp's going to hang around for a few years, he might see this as a pretty good opportunity. Um, Frank Lampard, who's obviously available. Um, Antonio Conte has kind of semi-distanced himself from it. And he's that would be really interesting because he's had some famous fallings out with rich owners in the past. Um, another one would be Roberto Martinez, who's the current Belgium manager. And Eddie Howe, who has been free for a while after leaving Bournemouth was apparently offered the Celtic job. Maybe he saw an opportunity probably coming in the Premier League above that. So that's going to be an interesting one to see what happens first and then how they spend their money. I think Graham Potter was also mentioned at one point, but I'm not sure if that has subsided. Um, but, you know, he's obviously doing good things with Brighton at the moment. So um, it'll be a shame for it to see him leave considering what he's done there over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, so uh, interesting times. I think the big thing is they just need a they need not necessarily the best tactical manager or the best, I guess. Um, what they need is a man manager. Now I know we're, we're Aussie guys, and you look at all well, the sports that we watch here, or some of us watch here. State of Origin is a great example. Your best coaches in that you've got the best players at your disposal already. All you need is someone that can actually control the uh, egos in that team. If you can get someone that can do that you're going to be okay. I think that's what they need more of. So a guy like a, a Conte, he's the type of guy that can do that. Whether an Eddie Howe has the ability to do that, he hasn't had to before because he's had workers at Bournemouth. Slightly different scenario, but I'd be interested to watch it. Is Mix Multi going to be maybe Zinedine Zidane coming in? <laughs> hey, that, that's a shout, isn't it? That's, That'd be a that's shout. A, yeah, that's a good one, Gilby. I don't mind it. <laughs> anyway. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. He's he's busy on the computer now having a look. Oh, here we go. The, the multi think, might change. Yeah. I think something else to uh, consider, albeit a very minor consideration, 
is that we've heard reports that these new Saudi owners want to somewhat replicate the Citigroup um, model of buying up smaller clubs around the globe as well. Now, obviously, the Premier League is where all of the dollars are and that'll be their main focus. Um, But it may just be a minor consideration that whoever they get in as the Newcastle manager may also be playing somewhat um, of a mental role to some of the new, younger, up-and-coming managers if and when they end up buying smaller clubs. I don't think that's going to be anywhere near the forefront of their thoughts uh, initially, but um, something to consider. Mm. And um, you got anything on Zidukin for us yet, Gilby? Well, I'm, just, I'm having a quick look at sports bet here and Zidane has $26. So apparently he's a better odds than Graham Potter. So yeah, it's, there's worse shouts out there. Um, two quick things I want to raise while we're on the Newcastle thing. So the first point being uh, there's been a lot of backlash from people in the UK, um, not only the media, but within the Premier League world uh, around sports washing or, you know, using sport to um, get in people's good side and hide any um, human rights abuses that may or may not allegedly, potentially, please don't sue me, be going on um, under the reign of these uh, owners and the Saudis aren't the only ones that are potentially implicated in that. What I find interesting is the hypocrisy coming from the likes of um, some of the so-called big six clubs who are involved in the Super League talks uh, coming out and saying this is not good for the game and this is not what English soccer is all about. So um, that's, yeah, a little bit hypocrisy and uh, short memories from those kind of guys. Um, you got something to add on that, Gilby? Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen a few people saying like, oh, this is terrible, as you've been saying. Um, the only problem with that is if you are going to maybe consider boycotting the Premier League, the Saudi Public Investment Fund also has significant stakes in Disney, Uber, Facebook, Fightsa, and Starbucks. So you're going to be going out, going without a fair few things if you're going to go down that sort mm. of path. Uh, I take... Starbucks is a thing I forego because that's trash. <laughs> um, but yes, they, you know, rich people with allegedly bad stuff going on under their reign own the world. Um, the second quick thing I just wanted to uh, get you guys' opinion, and this is kind of more directed at the likes of Isaac and Mick who don't follow clubs that have historically been powerhouses. Hold on. What would well, you well, guys? What do you What are you saying? Yeah, you're right. West Brom are in the championship. They a are powerhouse of the championship. International powerhouses. Yes, that's right. Um, hypothetically, let's say you had an offer from some incredibly rich owners to buy your club, and that went through, but they were very heavily implicated in mm. human rights abuses. Where do you draw the line? between as a fan thinking what's acceptable um, for the cash that's going to come in and help your club uh, compared to 
yeah, well, where do you draw the line? Where do you say, that's it? As a fan, I can't support this. I mean, probably from my perspective, I've probably got a little bit, I would say, harder in that Isaac's got a team that's still staying around where it is to stay even without that new ownership. I probably could use it a little bit more. Um, I, but I think the thing I wanted to add in with that is I 100% would probably drop my club if that were to happen. Probably wouldn't support them as strongly. Um, if I was a Newcastle fan right now, it'd be tough to support them. But you look at how long Mike Ashley's been there and how he's run the club and it makes it a little bit easier to accept it. Um, I have, I've only been following West Brom for it's almost 10 years now, but haven't been long enough to really know how the ownership structure has transpired over the last three, four owners. It's only been, I think, two. It's only been one change of ownership. But they haven't run the club into the ground to a point where we need new owners that badly. We haven't been hanging by it, waiting, 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 trying to get new owners. So I think from a Newcastle perspective, I can understand why their fans might turn a blind eye to it. Um, but yeah, the way I guess West Brom's run, even though they're not in the Premier League, I would still, I would find it pretty hard to take that as it is and still support them, I think. Um, I guess from my perspective, when you think of a lot of these English clubs, they have such a long and rich history, you know, no matter which club it is, generally speaking. And throughout that long and rich history, there has come a point where the fans haven't had a say who owns the club. And so you will have the diehard fans who will always be fans of that club, who will always love that club, who will always want the players to play their very best and enjoy watching the players play their very best. But what I hope doesn't happen um, to some of these clubs who are going to experience this now where there's big buyouts, I hope they don't turn the blind eye to some of the shady things that the owners have done. And I hope that although uh, it might be difficult, I hope that they still voice that opinion heavily. But because they're diehard fans, they will always love the club. So I don't yeah. know where the tipping point is exactly, but I hope that those uh, those two things will coexist for a lot of people, and I just hope that that's not lost. I think you're trying to um, mash up two points that me personally, as a Watford fan, might like my thoughts on it are. So, firstly, you know, if you follow a team and this was to happen, uh feel free to continue supporting the 11 players currently yeah. on the park for you. Um, rain, hail, shine, promotion, relegation, whatever the case may be, but not at the expense of being able to voice your opinion, have that protest. Um, okay, I've somewhat excluded Gilby from this discussion, but we've seen with the Manchester United and the Glazers and bringing out the yellow and green scarfs and whatever, um, still supporting the club on the pitch, yeah. but still feeling free to um, voice their protests. Um, the second thing that I was kind of thinking of is, like all of us, I was not born in Watford and my yeah. parents and grandparents and great-grandparents did not follow Watford. I started following them when I went there, was living there for 18 months, um, loved the city and the community and everything that the club represents. But I don't have generations of 
um, I guess, loyalty um, that would stop me from breaking away and dropping them if there was something that fundamentally I couldn't agree with um, moving forward. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. Like you say, we're all we're we're all in that position. So, um, and it's hard for me to say what it would be mm. like for someone who's had three or four or five generations of support. Yeah, I I can't put myself in their shoes, and yeah, yeah it would be and, incredibly difficult. And I would just hope at that point they just don't turn to a blind eye. Like a lot of the things that. Oh, you know, a lot of the fan groups are obviously very, very happy that Newcastle have new ownership, which is great. But I just hope that they don't turn that blind eye to some of the, the let's face it, terrible things that um, allegedly. allegedly the Saudi regime have apparently maybe done. So, you know, what their confliction is and and how far that goes will be interesting to see. But I just hope that more light is shed on those things that have allegedly been done. And, you know, I've, I think I've said it before, I listen a lot to the, the Guardian Football podcast. They do a fantastic job of actually bringing those things to light. So if you want to be more informed, that's a good place to sort of listen to those types of discussions as well. And, and it's hugely point, entertaining it, as well. It is. It is very entertaining. I thoroughly enjoy listening three times a week. And on that point, um, the um, article I saw the other day, um, Adam Peacock, an Australian football journalist, um, he is actually a fourth or fifth generation Newcastle United supporter. And he wrote an article from his perspective saying what he was feeling and what his family was feeling. Like, like I think he said his grandfather's 90 years old and he's been supporting Newcastle the whole time and what he would potentially do and what his thoughts were. So if you haven't read that one, highly recommend you go give that one a read. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see. Like, if we if we take those things out of it for the, for the moment, be very interested to see what happens over the next few months, um, and and just where Newcastle become positioned in the league, which assets come into the league from a fantasy perspective, or change over to Newcastle where they might be more valuable. Um, so you know, it will. It, it will definitely be a big shake-up. Definitely be a big shake-up. Which absolute 21-year-old superstars come out and claim in the media that their dream's always been to play for Newcastle. Yeah, the hero's Alan Shearer. Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's exactly how it will go. <laughs> Well, I saw trending uh, on Twitter after the announcement was, um, si- uh, was announced Mbappe. <laughs> Oh wow, that would be a. I mean, he did turn for the books. He did score for France in the Nations Cup final, but he also did have an absolute trash game. So, you know, yeah. goals count, I guess. Well, the other the other one I saw during the week was um, Antoine Griezmann, who the French player. He is big into Football Manager, and in the article, uh, he was managing Newcastle United and had just won the Champions League and had signed Mbappe. And he went over to speak to Mbappe and showed him and said, look, I've signed you for my Newcastle United team. Um, and Mbappe, um, his only response was, it's way too cold there. So um, he may be enjoying the Parisian sun at the moment. So it's going to be taking a lot of that Saudi oil money to maybe get him to look at Newcastle. That almost says that he's actually been there. 
Would he have even been to Newcastle? Like, I'm no doubt it's cold, but would he have even been there? I seriously doubt it. <laughs> I'll say that much. He possibly could have. Um, obviously, he's too young to have been playing internationals when they were redeveloping Wembley, but I think the English under-21s team plays a lot of their internationals at St. James's Park. So there is a chance that he's probably played there for junior French teams. Okay. There we go. Probably probably hasn't gone there on holiday. <laughs> to experience the, the, the city. No. The full Geordie Shore experience. <laughs> oh, very good. Look, we will move on, boys. We'll get to talking about uh, our squads. We'll get to talking about the game week coming up. Last week, we spoke a lot about some of the trades that had been uh, that had been put forward. Now, as far as I'm aware, none have actually been executed. There's been no trades that have gone through from what I, I know. But I'm interested to know, have there been any more trade talks taking place? I myself haven't had any between anyone, I don't believe. Um, but I'm keen to hear what's what's been happening and see if there's been some that sound at least reasonable. Mick, have you heard of of any going on behind the scenes? Yeah, so I've been involved with a couple of offers out there. So we spoke a fair bit about in depth last week, and it seemed Harry Kane was the big draw card in a lot of these. He, he was one that we said was potentially up for grabs from Ben. Um, it was a matter of who could get him away from Ben and how much they'd have to give up for it. Um, so the first trade, the one that I was involved in, it's going to be hard to follow around this, but three person trade, we'll just go overall what you're giving up. So it was between myself, Ben and Jeff. So Jeff put it this way. So I would be giving up Cristiano Ronaldo and Raheem Sterling. Ben would be giving up Harry Kane and, uh, Wilfred Zaha. Jeff would be giving up one of his forwards that isn't, um, Vardy, so Timo Werner or Adam Armstrong, as well as any mid that is not Mo Salah. Now, his other mids, three of them are Man City and the others Kovacic, I believe. So that was that was the trade. So now it's not just both of my players go to Ben. It's one of mine go to Ben, one goes to Jeff. So that's a bit of a confusing one. But if I'm, I'll break it down from my perspective. So I'd be giving up CR7 for... Um, Oh, the other thing that Jeff didn't do correctly. So with the way this game works is you need to swap like for like. So the way Jeff had it actually structured is we all gave up a mid and a forward. Um, I got a mid and a forward, but he got two mids and Ben got two forwards or something like that. So it didn't quite work out well, but that was the general overall of what it was. So I eventually counted his offer with one that worked. I tried to make it work. So it was pretty much the same thing. But I said, for me to go for this trade, I'd need Vardy to get involved. Rather than going Timo Werner or Adam Armstrong, I'd need Vardy to get involved. My reasoning for that, and I'd be interested to have this, because I actually, while we've been recording this pod, Jeff's just sent us a message being like, is this dead in the water or how's it <laughs> going? And there's an interesting tip here. Um, and I did tell him I'm going to be mentioning it. But my thing is, I'd happily, in my opinion, downgrade Ronaldo for Vardy. Yes, Vardy's already on 50-odd points. Ronaldo's on 20-something. Upside potential, Ronaldo is through the roof. Vardy, yes, he goes on runs. He's probably got more competition in that front line, in my opinion. Um, and he's got a team that 
hasn't actually played that well. And I think he's overperformed relative to how Leicester have performed. So it'll be interesting to see if, at the moment, it seems like he's the only one scoring for that team. So if Harvey Barnes comes back in, if that Pats and Dakar that they picked up starts playing, i.e. Nacho starts playing again to see what happens in all of that. But the other reason was, yes, we've spoken about Sterling and time and time again. And yes, I'm looking to get rid of him in some way or another. Um, and I'm happy that he was involved in this trade, but I'd be getting one of Jeff's midfielders who are Kovacic, rotation-threatened defensive midfielder for Chelsea, or one of three Man City rotation-threatened midfielders for City, Bernardo Silva, uh, Gundogan, who's injured, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, Mahrez. Mahrez. Mahrez, there you go, another one. He loves Mahrez. Yeah, so... <laughs> As much as I can see some potential in all of those, in my opinion, that's not an upgrade for any of them. So I'd be downgrading CR7 to Vardy. I'd be downgrading well, swapping Sterling for an equally riskful midfielder. So that's why I, down, I said no to that one. Don't know if there's anything. But one thing, and he said, Jeff said, I will make this tip. And he's going to put it out there. I don't know if we want a Mixed Magic Multi version for maybe Jeff's, I don't know, some come up with something alliterative for us, Isaac. But his tip, Timo Werner will score more goals than Harry Kane this year. Oh, wow. Now, I find that really interesting when his trade just involved giving up Timo <laughs> Werner for Harry Kane. So I'm not quite sure how that works, but it is an interesting tip and it's been put out there in October. So if it comes to fruition, um, and I don't know, it doesn't actually specify. It may not be more goals, it may be more points. Maybe it's a better fantasy asset, but pretty much for strikers, if you score more goals, you're going to be a better fantasy asset. So I think we can pretty much call it par. Um, now, the other one that we spoke about a bit beforehand, but there was a trade offer put out there that I didn't knew nothing about, but I've just found some information. Now, Gilby, you might want to tell us, what was the trade offer you've sent out before? I offered Ben or Bamiyang for Kane. Wow. You did. So I've mentioned this before. The... Uh, the game doesn't notify you, which I find really frustrating. Mm. I mentioned it to Ben. I said, mate, just so you know, there's a trade offer sitting there for you. He goes, ah, so there is. I feel like it really should have notified me. Then he responds, not keen on that trade. <laughs> so it's been a pretty short conversation, it'll be, um, but I don't know if it's been rejected yet, but I wouldn't hold your breath. You can start setting your lineup, assuming you still have a Bamiyang in that team. So um, that's pretty much... The new trades that I've seen. Can I just ask Gilby the the idea on that trade? Like Arsenal have a really good run coming up. Kane looks about effective in front of goal as Dave does at the moment. Sorry, Dave. Um, That's okay. Because <laughs> like, you I agree, it's a comparison to Harry Kane. It's a comparison to Harry Kane. You'll take it, right? Um, <laughs> I'll take it. So. Yeah, can you can you run me through the thought? But obviously, Kane has upside, yeah. But surely, Aubameyang with his current run does as well. No. Yeah, no. I mean, I looked at it as I mean, it's it's probably a, a more of a like an indictment on how far Kane has fallen that I had to debate whether or not Aubameyang was worth giving up for him. Um, but when I looked at it, I thought that. Over the course of the season, I think Kane will probably score more points than Aubameyang. Um, so I looked at it being like, if ever I'm going to have a chance of trading out who I would rank as my third best striker for Kane, this would be the opportunity, given that Arsenal have that really good run coming up. So I thought, 
I'm prepared to take a little bit of a hit in the knowledge that, and keep in mind our mid-season draft comes up uh, fairly soon, um, where I would be able to easily keep Kane out of my top five and top ten that we are forced to give up. So that would be something I'm thinking about as well, thinking about maybe having a look at those players that have underachieved early uh, to protect them from having to give them up as well. So I looked at it as kind of like a 50-50 decision, and I thought, yeah, why not give it a try? Yeah, absolutely. No, no harm in throwing it out there. But um, yeah, talking to Ben a little bit before, or actually on the weekend, as I think he's listened to last week's pod, and I think he's uh, he's starting to reconsider how willing he is to part, and or maybe he's just holding to a, a higher value than he was before. So we may have talked all of ourselves out of picking up that one there. But <laughs> um, yeah, something to keep in mind. If the offer's there, I'm sure he'll still consider it. But it won't be as, as, as easy coming as it may have been before. While we're talking trade offers, um, in the last pod, Mick uh, offered me Ronaldo, Digne, and one of his mids being Sterling Habits or Buendia uh, for Tony, Son, and one of my defenders, either the Livermento or Christensen. Uh, I have not uh, had a look into that one yet. Um, you know, we're all busy people and things have been incredibly busy. So that has not been ruled out, but I have not delved into it yet. Uh, and whilst we're talking about our good mate, Mr. Jeff Brown... I have just received two <laughs> trade offers from him. He's busy. Live, He's busy. He's not going to have anyone left. During the recording, we, we have to get Jeff on very, very soon. He is a one of all of one of our loyal listeners, the only loyal listener we have probably. Thank you, Jeff. Um, thank you, Jeff. And he's he's keen. So maybe next week we'll, we'll get him involved. Um First trade offer, much like Mix, does not quite make sense because uh, he's offered me a striker <laughs> for a defender, <laughs> and there's no second players involved. Uh, the the defender that he wants from me is Andy Robinson. Robo Robertson. Um, the striker that he's offered me <laughs> is Jamie Tart. <laughs> So, for those of us that are familiar with Ted Lasso, uh, anyway, striker for a defender. I hear he's got a bunch a of fantasy points not at even the moment. In the game. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, he'll tell you all about it, apparently. One thing I've looked at, obviously, like I said, I've had a, a similar trade from Jeff trying to balance it out, but getting trying to throw in... I guess, lower players to even out a trade is really hard to do when you're only allowed to carry three forwards because your third forward is always going to be way more valuable than your lowest defender. So it's one of those that I think with forwards, it almost needs to be a straight like for like. Mids and defenders, maybe you can throw it around a little bit. But defenders, it's pretty easy. You can pick up someone who's playing Norris this week and you've got a chance at a clean sheet. So a little bit easier to, to throw away a lower defender. Midfielders, on the other hand, probably a little bit more valuable and I guess, want to keep a little bit more so. Mick, I just like how you um, uh, compared Dave's trade, who had a fictional player, <laughs> to your trade, 
Um, but then I remember that you've got Sterling, so no, that's fair enough. They're, they're <laughs> both Jeff's trade, remember? But yeah, Sterling may as well be fictional, right? <laughs> I, I would um, like to point out, though, that Harry Kane has nine points, and all of these players that you're slating on my team have double his points. So, yeah, but I mean, Kane's actually going to play 90 minutes every game and potentially score more. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want him to get injured, but if he does, I'd be able to be like, huh, at least my first round pick scored more than that first round pick. I've probably jinxed myself here, but hey, I'm not scoring anything. Plus, anyway, you've right? got two of them. <laughs> um, I'm still not last, though. That has to say something, right? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, it, that's that's true. Um, the second offer, which much like Mix offered to me, I have not had time to digest, uh, has also just come through live on the pod from Jeff. Uh, so this is a real one. Still includes Robertson plus Eduardo for Werner from him and either Cash, Duffy or Mings. Now, the first thoughts around that uh that's a definite downgrade on my defender and arguably eduardo to werner is a downgrade not on um potential werner's obviously got potential but eduardo's nailed on starting striker now and werner currently isn't nailed on so um, there's some work to be done but yeah again Um, something for me to think about over the next seven days. We'll get back to you, Jeff, and we may have to continue this debate live on the air in a week's time. So does that mean you've just completely put a line through my straight swap for Robbo and Walker? That's not happening? Because I actually don't think that's a bad trade. I must say, I don't think that's a bad trade. I see where you're coming from, but I've been burnt with Walker... no, burnt is the wrong word because he got me decent haul of points last season. Um, but it, I was incredibly frustrated by the uh, times that pet rotation kept him out of the side. Now, I also realise that that's happening a lot less this season um, than it was at times last season. Um, but yeah, it's not one that I've... I mean, like I said, Life has gotten in the way. I have not actually looked into any of these trades. Um, but yeah, sure. Why Why not keep it on the table <laughs> as well, Isaac? Okay. I promise you I will come back to you for the next pod with a... With um, another no. An answer <laughs> or a counteroffer um, rather than a, I'll think about it again next week. Oh, that's okay. I appreciate that, Dave. Thank you. I just didn't want to feel Is left that, out. That's... That's about as uh, committal as I can be on the trade situation at this moment. <laughs> oh, there we go. So there's, there's there's bits happening behind the scenes. It, yeah, trades are so difficult. And Mick and I were sort of talking before, especially like with someone like Vardy who, you know, he's already scored 50 points. So you don't get that 50 points. And it's just hard sometimes to justify some of those trades when you say, well, he's got the potential to, but then also, well, we've seen Vardy fall off the edge of a cliff as well um, in the back end of a season. So sometimes, yeah, getting the trades across the line can be quite challenging. 
yeah, and we've mentioned before that um, over the past few years of us doing fantasy, we've used different scoring formats and we've used different templates. And uh, this is the first time that we're going with the official fantasy draft league. But um, in the past, we've given ourselves bigger squads, 22-player squads, and we probably saw more trades between players but a lot of them were in that second 11 of the squad because the squads are so small this time around it's it's really hard to say goodbye to someone who's a starting player in your team um so i I think it's making those trades harder to push through yeah i think the only reason we are getting trade offers and so many of them is because we've got the podcast and we want to keep people entertained to some degree. Yeah. We want to keep Jeff entertained. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Definitely want to keep Jeff entertained. Um, you, you're spot on there. And I think like, I always go back to the midfield being where you score the majority of your points. And so like, if I'm looking for a trade, it's generally difficult to do a one-to-one that everyone is happy with. So then you have to throw in a second player and I'm looking at my mids, for example, and I've got Townsend, Mane, Benarama, Greenwood, and Buemo. And I look at that five and I think, well, who do I actually want to get rid of of those five? So I'm finding it really difficult and challenging to to put in that second player as well because the squad is so small and I'm relatively happy with how each of those mids are going and the points that they're getting me. So I'm... Yeah, it's, it's definitely a massive challenge to try and justify why you want to trade um, unless someone's saying, yep, I want to get rid of this person and, and you want to try and jump on it. I think something that I think we've done or we've benefited from with the larger squads is the majority of the trades that we've actually made have been multiple player trades, but it's generally too mid-level for a premium and a non-existent, a throwaway player. And that's how we've managed to make trades work more often. It's kind of like, well, I've got this one guy that's scoring well and nothing else on the table. Let's spread my risk, get these two, and I'll give you this one guy because you've got enough other players to rotate around. So we've kind of benefited from that before, which we don't, like you said, we don't have that this year. When you've got to include a midfielder, but you rate all of your midfielders higher than the one they're offering you, it's like, well, there's no way I can even, I can't feel like I'm getting any value out of that trade. So it's really tough, I think, in that aspect, but... I guess one thing we'll get better at as we go through is learning how to balance that a little bit better and how to play the system. But one thing I'd like the game to implement, and I think eventually if if more people play draft, they'll slowly add this in, is other than notifications when something happens in your league, um, would be the ability like on a, a draft night for NFL, AFL, anything, but the ability to trade your waiver wire position. So I think when Ronaldo was in the league, people would give up someone that is definitely in the league and already in the game to be like, okay, well, I want the first pick this week because I have a feeling this guy's going to come in or I have this guy that just got dropped last week. I think he's a steal. I want to get him. So I'd love to see that get added into the game. Nothing that will affect this year. Um, But yeah, I think that'd be something really valuable. And I know a guy like Jeff has thrown it in before and I've spoken about doing it from one year to the next. At the end of the year, it's like, okay, well, I'm out of the running, but you want this player. Well, this is a pretty decent trade, but I want to take your pick next year and do this and that. But it's always a hard one to keep track of. But even 
on the waiver wire within the week, I think it'd be an interesting one to implement. Yeah, I think I'd be in favour of doing it, like you say, within the week. Um, I would be reluctant to have it have an impact on a different season. So um, I'm not sure if we've mentioned it on the pod, but I was made an offer late last season when Isaac and I were neck and neck. It was just between the two of us. And one of the other players offered me a premium first pick player that they had, knowing that that could tip me over the edge to beat Isaac um, for an early draft pick in the current season that we're in now. I rejected it because I thought that was um, probably not uh, within the vibe and the marbo of the thing and was probably um, breaching some of the integrity uh, of the game. Um, So I'd still be reluctant for that to happen. But yeah, within a season or within a game week, I'd be yeah more than happy to see something like that implemented. I think early on in the game when scores are still tight, you could definitely tank quite comfortably and try and get that last waiver. Tanking for Ronaldo. Yeah, like you could you yeah. I mean you could you could it's a risk because you've got to decide who if you know to keep some top point scorers and get rid of some that you think you know are going to score well in knowing that you may not get them back but if you're guaranteed a premium pickup like Ronaldo you could definitely do that i know, I know i'm sure lots of people in lots of leagues actually did that when Ronaldo became available um and i think i was talking to Nathan when Ronaldo um came into the game um after Mick had already said well i'm going to pick him up um, you know, retrospectively, um, I said to Nathan, well, would you have tanked? And he said, absolutely, I would have tanked because he was coming last at the time. He's like, I would have made sure that I was the last person on the wire to pick him up. So there's that option as well, but there's risk associated with that, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not having the greatest start to a season that I've ever had, and it's definitely crossed my mind. Um when do I start considering tanking slightly for our mid-season draft? Um, we've mentioned that we do a mid-season draft. Obviously, there's a January transfer window. But the flip side is I might tank and I might get an early draft pick. But Mbappe might sign at the end of the window and I've already done my drafts and getting no benefit from my tanking. So yeah, there's a huge risk. Well, that and the fact that we know it's going to be Drexler. Yeah. I mean, Drexler's yeah. going to sign for Newcastle, right? Yeah. First pick. Done. Dusted. Yeah. yeah. Start tanking now, Dave. Guaranteed. Start tanking now. You can make up those points. <laughs> You'd like that. You'd like that. Uh, well, I think this is a nice opportunity to start talking about the game week upcoming. So, Game Week 8 is will be upon us uh, on Saturday evening here in Australia, which we're very much looking forward to. I'll quickly just run through the games. We can have a bit of a chat. We, you know, we usually talk about well, what's our, our game of the week. Um, it could just be in general or for fantasy points. We'll leave that open this week. 
But uh, first up, we've got Watford versus Liverpool. Um, and then the Sunday night games as we go through Aston Villa v Wolves, Leicester versus Man United, Man City versus Burnley, Norwich versus Brighton, Southampton versus Leeds, Brentford versus Chelsea, um, Everton v West Ham, and then Monday we've got Newcastle versus Spurs. And to round things off, Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. So there's. There's some good games there that could potentially be a few blowout in scores as well, which is always uh, quite, uh, which fantasy managers generally love uh, if they can pick the right players. So, you know, is there, I'll open this up to anyone. Is there any games there that sort of jump out um, that seem like they're going to be a good watch, good for fantasy, good for, good for you? How do we view it this week? Um, the two big things I'll say is um, Manchester United have lost both their centre-backs and we're playing away to Leicester. And given how Leicester defended a low block and then countered with speed, we've been terrible at stopping that all season. So I'm going to say that Vardy is going to score a hat-trick against us and be really big points for... Um, who has Vardy? Is that... Uh, Jeff, Jeff does. Yeah. Jeff has Marty. Okay. So he's going to continue his move up the table. And the other one I'll say, I'm going to bet that Kevin De Bruyne is going to make up for some of his missing weeks at the start of the season and go really big versus Burnley. Because that seems to be the sort of match that really suits De Bruyne down to the ground. We'll get time to pick some passes. Um, and I think he's going to go really big for Nate. So there's my two big tips for this week. Yeah, my... my... The game, I guess, the game of the week for me was actually Leicester Man U as well. I think in terms of a, a fantasy asset point of view, um, where th- those two teams just haven't quite performed. Man U have been okay, but Leicester haven't quite performed to the level they would have expected. So I guess in terms of uh, Champions League spots, Europa League spots, it's probably a pretty important six-pointer game there um, to see who comes out. But I wrote a really interesting Twitter thread, and it wasn't by anyone important it was just some guy putting out his thoughts and the just the whole concept of how Oligon of Solskjaer was setting up Man U and how he was actually starting to turn the tide and set the team up really well and then this whole Ronaldo um, transfer saga happened and it's just thrown his complete setup into chaos they've they were kind of without being a Leicester they were a team that were working hard from the front to create turnovers and they had guys like Rashford, Greenwood, Martial up front as well as a poacher in Cavani, but a poacher that's willing to work back and defend. But now they've got Ronaldo who wants to sit up the front and not actually do any defensive work, how it's completely changed their game plan. So it'll be interesting to see now that, I guess, Ronaldo's had a few weeks and um, Oli's had a a bit of time to maybe tweak a little bit of how he wants to play and how he wants to use his players. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, that game lives up to the hype or whether it's a nil or draw. Whether or whether Ronaldo actually starts, seeing as he came off the bench last week, or if Gilby's prediction of Bruno's uh, penalty uh, take and score actually happens. But I did just have a quick look. Mike Dean's not refereeing that one, so there won't be any freebies. <laughs> Gilby, my question for you with that game is: Does Fred start? Given how he went last time, uh, no, no. Well, he shouldn't be starting anyway, but that's a whole other argument. But um, fortunately for us, I think he may actually be in South America at the moment with the Brazil squad. Um, So I think that may actually lead to him 
having to maybe reorganize a little bit. Um, so I don't think he will. Um, it's going to be tough because if he doesn't play, then if Solskjaer insists on sticking to 4-2-3-1, then the other defensive midfielding options is Matic, who uh, I'm not sure if his knees are still working at this point. Um, but other than that, I mean, we're looking at McTominay. Um, I really like McTominay. He's a workhorse. Um, he's but... impressed every time he's got a chance. He's done a job. Like, I don't know why he's not pushing for more starts. He's not brilliant, he, but he always does a job. The, he's not good enough to be the starting midfielder for Manchester United. Uh, he's a great squad player, um, trains the house down, super fit, um, apparently like an incredible character to have around the club, but he should not be the starting centre midfielder for a club of Manchester United. Sure, stature. but he um, wouldn't have let that goal happen last time out. He wouldn't <laughs> have. Probably not, no. Um, so it's just one of those things, like... Uh, I know my old friend Roy Keane is not a big fan of Fred either. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on as to who actually plays and how they reorganize the defense. Because another one I saw was, um, I know, like, I'm sure I was like a lot of Man- Manchester United fans and even non-Manchester United fans saying, good Lord, how could that happen? When I saw some people predicting that our starting centre-backs this week will be Lindorf and Phil Jones. So that could be a really interesting one if Vardy goes up against my old friend Phil Jones. Um, I'll say a double hat-trick if that happens. You've got a lot of really high-stature old friends, Gilby, I must say. It's pretty impressive. I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to see your address book on your phone. Um, I reckon in terms of the, the setup, sorry, Dave, um, I right. reckon Pogba's a, a solid chance. He didn't start last game, but they might play a McTominay as a pure holding back, not letting him get forward. And Pogba to play that kind of box-to-box um, rather than that more attacking role. Because I'm just having a look through some of their lineups and Fred McTominay has been the pairing that's kind of anchored the midfield for the majority of it with Bruno in front, which has allowed Pogba to be up there. But with... I've seen a bit about Rashford potentially coming back in this weekend as well off the bench, I assume. Um, but Greenwood, Bruno obviously in that number 10, uh, Ronaldo up front, Sancho potentially as well. I reckon there's a solid chance Pogba drops into the CM with McTominay because you won't change both holding midfields. Um, I reckon there's a solid chance that'll happen. And if that if that is the case and they don't have as much, is there a chance they don't start Ronaldo again? Is, is that something likely to happen? Can they afford to not play arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game? I think given the way Leicester play, where they defend with a low block, I think that they probably will play Ronaldo from the start. Uh, the only condition on that would be depending on how he recovers from playing for Portugal. So that would be the only thing I don't. I think Cavani has retired from playing for Uruguay. So I don't think he's in South America at the moment. So that could be, I mean, it's more or less a like-like at this point. Um, but yeah, that'll be an interesting one to see um, whether or not he is going to start. So I just wanted to move on from talking about Bloody Man you. Oh, please. Um, I was just going to say there's three things on my radar in terms of matches this weekend. So uh, not so much worrying about fantasy points, um, but there's two matches in particular that I think are going to be great to watch and fairly good matchups. So we've got Southampton at home to Leeds. I think that's got potential to be quite exciting. Um, we've also got 
Everton and West Ham. So there's a bit more fantasy implications in that one. Um, Everton have been impressive. West Ham have been impressive, both scoring plenty of goals and both uh, having goals coming from not just their strikers, but um, throughout midfield as well. Uh, So they're the two games that I think will be the best to watch. Uh, And the other one that I'm really interested in is Brentford-Chelsea. Now, obviously, that's a bit of a mismatch. No one can deny that. But every chance they get, Brentford just continue to impress. Um, I don't expect it to be a great game to watch. Um, But yeah, I'm just especially following on from their point against Liverpool, I'm really interested to see if Brentford can just maintain the rage after the international break that uh, probably didn't impact them a huge amount. They might have had a few players out here and there, but um, yeah, wait and see what happens with that one. Brentford have been mighty impressive this year, so yeah, fingers. I Like with your prediction last time out with Brentford, you know, nabbing some points from Liverpool. You can you can just see it happening again in some regards. It's it's a they've just been so impressive. And they're at home again. Like I think that's a big thing. They're at home. You know, they've got their home crowd there. Um Yeah, I I I really don't know why, but I just had a hunch that something was gonna happen in the Liverpool game. Um I did not expect it to be three all and as open as it was but I just had a hunch they'd get something out of that game. I'm a little less convinced this time around, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was 3-0 to Chelsea. Um, but yeah, like like I said, really impressed with Brentford so far, the way they're going about things. And whilst I'm not necessarily a Brentford fan, I kind of hope it continues because it's been entertaining so far. Yep, absolutely. And my sort of game for the week. It's going to sound like a bit of a cop-out, but there's a few reasons why I think uh, Arsenal-Crystal Palace will be a good one to watch. Um, Obviously, being a Crystal Palace fan, um, you know, excuse me for that. I'm not picking it just because it's Crystal Palace, but my reasoning is, there's a few things. Firstly, Vieira being an Arsenal legend, going back uh, for the first time, uh, managing against his old club where he was so successful. I think it'll be interesting, the reaction that he gets. I'm sure he'll be welcomed uh, by the fans in, in a lot of aspects. I think that's just... I'm a, sure it'll be a great reception until Crystal Palace walk out with points. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it's a free-for-all. But, um, I yeah, I think he's going to enjoy that moment and enjoy that atmosphere. And I think the other part of it for me is that Crystal Palace... Um, have been playing a really good style of football. They've been the better team the last two weeks and come out with two draws where they, you know, you'd hope they'd get more points. Um, they've been pressing from the front a lot more, turning over ball more quickly, really working hard to to transition in that way as opposed to just getting in there um, two lots of forward defensive structure and and holding on. So I think that they're playing really, really well and hopefully they can come away with some points. But as well as that, Arsenal have really turned the corner um, over the last few game weeks. Obviously, they have had some easier games, but they've really been been playing well. So I just think it's a... a, 
a game where two clubs have been playing well who have a bit of style about them at the moment. So I can see it being a, a really good game to watch. Um, so I, I'm really hopeful for that one. Now, it's funny you mentioned that one. Now, I might be stealing the bit of a, the segue here, but the uh, the multi of the week did actually include that game. So pretty much for every reason you just said there, Palace have been impressive. The odds are there because Arsenal have kind of turned a corner, but with Vieira going back to um, playing at, at against Arsenal at Arsenal, um, I actually have Palace there to win. So that's that's part of the multi, Palace to wow. win. Um, both both teams to score because I don't know if they're going to win to nil because I think Arsenal have been didn't start the year well in terms of in front of goal. They failed to score a goal for freaking ever. So <laughs> I reckon they're going to leave the defensive side a little bit more. They're probably going to play in. When you've got guys like Wilfred Zaha coming in the counter-attack, there's not much you can do. And I don't think the Arsenal defence, Tommy Yasu has been pretty good while he's been playing. Um, but I did notice, I think, pretty sure for Japan, he played as a centre-back. He's been playing out at right-back for Arsenal. I could be wrong with that, but playing a little bit out of position. Um, in my understanding, he's a centre-back by trade. But it'd be interesting to see how, with Zaha coming off the left, how if that changes anything, whether they go to someone like a Callum Chambers, um, even though he's always been a bit of a centre-back as well. He's just played a bit more right-back in the time. But, yeah, for the multi this week, I'll just go straight into it. So I've got Palace to win, but both teams to score in the Palace-Arsenal game. But with that, to get it up to the, the $35 to $40 mark, we've got Tottenham to turn a corner. Tottenham to win by two goals or more. It is against Newcastle, so it's not much of a big <laughs> throwaway. But with Newcastle, the new manager bounce hasn't happened because they don't have a new manager. So is Bruce just going to throw in the towel? I'm hoping so. Uh, but I reckon maybe I, I could have thrown in Harry Kane to get a goal there as well. But let's just leave it as uh, Tottenham to win by two or more. Palace to win, both teams to score. I think it's about 36 to 1 there. So uh, it may not be this week. I, it, like you said, Arsenal turned a corner. So I think that's going to be the sticking point. I think Tottenham to get two goals, win by two is more likely. But you've got to get value somewhere. It is at St. James's Park. So you might not have the new manager bounce, but you'll almost certainly have that place bouncing for two reasons. Uh, obviously, the new owner bounce. Uh, secondly, the stadium itself could be literally bouncing if Mike Ashley is back in the stands because he is a large individual. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> wow. That is all I'll say. Wow. He does love, or at least he did in the first three days of his ownership, enjoy getting up in the stands with the fans and pretending he was a normal individual. I don't think he'll be received quite the same way uh, if well, he now, was to go and do it Now uh, he's doubled weekend. his investment. Um, I don't think he'll ever be seen in Newcastle ever again. <laughs> Not alive anyway. Might be seen in Derby though. Apparently he's in for Derby. Oh, wow. Newcastle Jets, are they still looking for an owner here in the A-League? <laughs> you think you might get confused? Uh, possibly. <laughs> when we see Mbappe signs for Newcastle, we're right to feel confused then, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. But in saying that, 
he could come to Australia for a holiday. And as we mentioned earlier, he's not going to Newcastle in the UK for a holiday because it's too cold. <laughs> right, boys, I'm going to leave us with one final question. I haven't asked you guys this beforehand, so have, have a bit of a think. The question is, it's fantasy related. Prediction and who is going to score the most fantasy points this week? Have a think. Have a look at the games. Have a look at the fixtures. Who's going to score the most fantasy points this week? Um, which player? Now, I'll start off so you guys can have a bit of a think. I I have a sneaking suspicion that someone like Ben Rama is going to have a good day out. He's been playing really well without the returns the last couple of weeks. So I'm, my pick is Ben Rama. I think he's going to score, score a haul. That's my prediction. Gilby, who are you going with? I'm taking Jamie Vardy, like I said before. Yep. I really don't like our chances of stopping him scoring without Varane and Maguire. Even if we had Maguire, um, given Maguire's ability to turn around is about the same as a battleship, um, I don't think that we are stopping Jamie Vardy scoring. So he's my pick. I'm going to pick him for a hat trick. I'll throw my hat in the ring. Um, this was very... Uh, it's it's not a question that you've set us up with previously, Isaac. So as soon as you mentioned it, I went straight to the game that I mentioned earlier, Everton-West Ham. Uh, I went the other way and I thought Abdullah Dekure has been punching well and truly above his weight of late. Uh, and I could see him scoring another goal against West Ham and potentially having a sneaky assist in there as well. When I had a second think about it, uh, I saw Man City are playing at home against Burnley and I changed to <laughs> hopefully my guy, uh, Grealish, getting quite a few points on the board. But I'll round it off now. I had the same thought as Dave there. I reckon Man City, Burnley, but not necessarily who you think. I'm going to go with uh, Ruben Diaz. Clean sheet and some level of attacking returns. As soon as you get those two, there's 10 points straight there. Now, I would go maybe a Jao Cancelo. That's probably an even better shout, but I'm going to stick with Ruben Diaz for that. And then my bit of a smoky here, against Norwich, Neil Morpé. I reckon solid chance. He's looked okay. He put away a chance against Palace. Very, very fortunate. <laughs> um, but I reckon there's a chance he could be in, in, I guess, two goals getting a brace there. And if that happens, there's 13 points if he starts. So... Neil Morpé and Ruben Diaz for me. Very good. A few tips there, so we'll have to we'll, we'll we'll review those next week and sort of see how we went with tipping our our fantasy picks. Boys, thanks very much for uh, being with us this week. It's always a, a pleasure to chat. Covered a, a fair bit of ground this week, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any more trade action. It'll be interesting to see um, who comes out on top, uh, and we will reconvene next week and and do it all again. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, guys. It's good luck, everybody. Take care. Cheers, boys. Lovely. And thanks to those who are listening. Thank you, Jeff. Much appreciated. We do do appreciate it. But uh, anyone else who is listening and has made it this far, thanks very much. And uh, we'll catch you next week.